Hello and welcome to episode 88 of the Missing Pillar of Health podcast. I'm your host, Emma Roman, and today I'm bringing you an interview with Sarah Rosensweet. She is a parenting coach, specifically a peaceful parenting coach, and I wanted to bring her on and talk about how we can navigate tough conversations with our kids around hard issues like climate change and the fact that there are less than ideal ingredients in our products, but also how to bring our kids along the journey with us. I have talked on the podcast, both myself and with interviews on how to have conversations, particularly with our partners, because they can often be a hurdle for people in adopting less toxic routines and products at home. But I know in in navigating this with my own kids, it can bring their its own set of challenges, like a young kid whose lunchbox looks different than their friends. Or, you know, I'm heading into preteen years and play makeup and different products are starting to enter the conversation. Or when we're in a toy store and there are certain things that are not on my list of ideal things to be bringing into our house. And so I know this is something that a lot of you are also dealing with. So this is what I'm talking to Sarah about today. It is a great conversation. She shares lots of really practical tips and strategies. And I think this will be really helpful for parenting in general, not just in the toxics context. So I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Missing Pillar of Health podcast, the show that tackles the often misunderstood and underestimated topics related to toxins and their impact on our health and well-being. I'm your host, environmental engineer, mom of two, and founder of Green at Home, Emma Roman. My mission is to help you reduce toxins in your life without fear, judgment, or shame, so you can be more informed and empowered to take action on issues that matter to your health. The research is clear that toxic chemicals found in the products we use, food we eat, water we drink, and air we breathe are contributing to the rise of chronic illness, allergies, infertility, autoimmune disease, and more. The good news is you can reduce your exposure without having to drastically change your lifestyle, and I'm here to show you how. As Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. I believe addressing toxins is a critical step towards creating healthier and happier families, communities, and ultimately a better planet. And that starts right here, right now. Let's dive into today's show. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Emma. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. You and I have known each other for quite some time now. Six or seven years, maybe, I think. Long time. Yeah. So it's always nice to chat with a familiar face and a friend. Before we dive in, can you share a little about you and how you help families? Sure. So I am a peaceful parenting coach. I'm also a mom of three. I used to be able to say three teenagers, but they're getting so old. I can't say that anymore. Mom of three who are 14 well, by the time this airs, they'll be 15, 18, and 21. And I found my big sort of passion in life has been parenting. And then when my when my youngest went to school, I turned it into my 
vocation. And so I just, I help parents by helping them to feel more calm and confident in their parenting. And one of the big things with peaceful parenting is that we don't use rewards or punishments. So really helping parents to get on the same team as their kids without using without using rewards or punishment and including yelling and threats and timeouts and all of that stuff. And it is really possible to raise great kids without using those things. So that's basically how I help parents. And I think when some people hear that, they immediately go to, well, then you're just being permissive or right. then kids don't know that there are consequences and whatnot. But you take a different approach to that that works quite well, right? So we talk about kind, firm limits. So there are limits. You can't just do whatever you want. The family is not a democracy. That's really important. Parents still need to be the ones in charge because, you know, kids need to go to bed and not watch TV all day and be kind to each other and all of that stuff. We just take a working with approach rather than like a doing to approach. So it's not at all a permissive approach. We do really believe in kind, firm limits. It's just that we don't use fear to get kids to cooperate. And earlier on in my parenting journey, you really opened my eyes to a whole new way of thinking about problems and relationships with your kids. So I appreciate the messaging that you have. And that's why I wanted to kind of clarify that because the whole peaceful parenting conversation, I think, can be kind of triggering for some people, especially of our generation who grew up in a very different way for a lot of us. So I just wanted to add a little bit of context for those of you listening that is not just about, you know, the kid always getting their way. And, yeah. And, you know, I think you bring up a good point because if you were raised with a lot of control, a lot of this, this was actually pointed out in a really, there's a really wonderful book called Untigering by Iris Chen. And she grew up in like a traditional like Chinese Chinese American household with like a lot of like, you know, respect your elders and all that stuff. And she had to really fight against that urge to control, like, wait, it's my turn now to control, right? Like if you were, if you grew up with a lot of control, it can be really hardwired into you that that's how the family operates, right? Is the parents control the kids. And, you know, I mentioned parents are in charge, but it's not, it's not a system of control and lack of control. So that's sort of the distinction I think that's helpful to make. Thanks for that. And yeah, I just wanted I wanted to tee up the conversation with that kind of background, because what I want to talk to you about today is that push and pull and the situation when, you know, a lot of the people that I work with are mothers and they have been on this journey of healthy, non-toxic living for various amounts of time. And I have talked a lot in the past about bringing their partners on board because so many of them have that as a hurdle where they want to make changes in their home, but their partner isn't on board. And so I've talked about that a lot. However, I wanted to have a conversation about the rest of the family, the younger members of the family, because I've seen this in my community. I've seen this in my own home. And as my kids have gone from toddler to now I'm in the kind of preteen stage, the pushback varies depending on the age and stage that they're at. And so I thought it would be a great time for selfishly me, (laughs) but also members of my community to be able to have these conversations and bring their kids along the journey as well in a way that doesn't feel like you're under my roof, you will do what I say, because there's 
a lot of social issues that come in this too, right? When your kids start going to school and they start noticing that their lunches might not look the same as other kids. And so, you know, a lot of different kind of psychology going on there and then how we as parents can support them to make the choices that we want them to make or maybe let them make choices that we don't want them to make. And then I also want to talk about having hard conversations with young children in particular. So let's start with the, because we started on the parenting track, let's start with the kind of bringing your kids along with your goals. And, you know, we'll, you'll have different examples. I'll bring it back from time to time to examples in my community. You know, I use the lunchbox as, as an idea, but how do we start to bring kids along when we have certain values and goals that might not align with a lot of popular public opinion? It's tough. So first of all, I just want to say to you and your listeners, my experience is that your children will, they will absorb your values. Like there may be pushback in the younger years when they're, when their lunchboxes don't look the same or you're not going to buy the single use snacks that, or not single use, but you know, like the, the heavily packaged snacks that yeah. all their friends are getting. And they, there will be a sense of like, why can't we do this? Everybody else is doing this. But as they get older and they start to understand more about why you've made the choices that you have made, what I see is that they, they absorb those values. So take a big, deep breath. It's may feel a little bit hard when they're younger, but as, as they get older, I think it starts to feel easier. You know, I have so many examples of this in my own life with my kids. I remember my oldest son coming home and telling me that the kids made fun of his soba noodles because they looked like dirt and worms. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, like just like the different kinds of lunch things that, that they would, my kids would get. And I also remember some like really pleasant ones where I, I was big on like homemade Halloween costumes and not buying the plastic masks and, you know, but those sort of like ultra cheap Halloween costumes. And I remember as a kid, my mom made my costumes and I remember feeling yeah. so jealous of the, those bought Halloween costumes. Like I wish I could have gotten the plastic masks and the, you know, whatever. But I remember one day my middle son coming home and saying, I feel so sorry for those kids with the bought Halloween costumes. <laughs> he's, he's on board. So I think it can go either way too. Like when they start to notice that your family is different from other families, they can appreciate it as well. So, you know, I think when you do come up against the, why can't we blah, 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 or why do we always have to blah, blah, blah. I think the number one thing to remember is to empathize and acknowledge their point of view. And you don't have to agree. You don't have to agree that, gee, it would be so nice if you could get the silly snack packages or whatever, but you can empathize that that's their reality, right? So that's a really a key part of empathizing is that you don't have to agree to empathize. So you can say, I'm, I know how hard this is for you to not have those snacks that everybody else has. And, you know, this is their maybe seven or eight year old suffering. And it's, there are bigger problems in the world for sure. But for them, it is actually like a real issue to feel different and to feel like a little bit envious of people who have things that they don't. So just really trying to empathize and see it from their perspective. And, you know, maybe remember when you were a kid and if you ever felt like you didn't fit in or that you wanted what other people have and try and sort of connect to that and just really, you know, don't try to talk them out of it. Don't say like, but this is the reason why, because they already, they're in your family. They already know the reason why you don't buy those things or, or do whatever. So you don't try to talk anyone out of their feelings or get them on board to explain. You can just have that, you know, I mentioned kind firm limits. You know what? I know how hard this is for you that we're not going to buy those things. And you can ask me as many times as we, as you want. And 
we're still not going to, you know, that's, that's not in alignment with our family values to do whatever it is that you're talking about. And that brings up a good point though, because I think a lot of people think that kids, if you have these rules, like I don't buy like you, the snacks that are in kind of prepackaged form or I don't know, there are certain things like that. But I, well, think- I took it, took it, sorry, interrupt, but I had to get one step freakier, which is I made my own little cloth snack bags. Yes. <laughs> so, so like not only did they not have the prepackaged ones, but they didn't even have like Ziploc bags. Right? Yes. They had like, the, this was before you could buy those nice reusable snack bags, yeah. right? So I made all these cloth bags and they, why do we have to have these cloth But I think a lot of people don't necessarily think that their kids are able to have the conversation as to why you're doing these things. And it's something that I talk about a fair bit is that, you know, if you're bringing the kids to the grocery store or you've got something, you're walking down the street and you see a bunch of Ziploc bags. Like, I think it's really important that we do have these conversations with kids. But like you say, not in the moment, maybe when they're really upset about not having something. But in order for them to be on board eventually, they need to know why. And so I think, you know, the practice of reading ingredient labels with them, having conversations about plastic pollution or just little things throughout your daily routine as to why you're doing certain things, not in a very heavy handed way, but I think they need to, they need to know, right? You're making a conscious decision. As far as they see, you're just being an annoying parent that's making them do something weird if you don't talk to them about it, right? Yeah, I guess I assume that you would be talking about it all along. And that's why I said, you know, you don't have to explain it because they already know. But but good point, because maybe you haven't told them why you're not buying the those snacks. I know we're like we're like harping on the snacks, but that's it. But but maybe you haven't told them. And so having a conversation and maybe looking at some pictures of like massive landfill photographs or something like that so that they can understand why we don't do those things. It's not in our family values. unless. And I, and I will say another thing, I think flexibility is also important. So for example, my kids always wanted those little yogurt drinks in the silly little single, the plastic yeah. containers. We bought them once a week. They each got one at, when we went grocery shopping. Yeah. So, you know, I'm like fairly against the, that kind of packaging, but also, you know what? One a week is probably not going to make a gigantic difference. And it made them feel like it wasn't just my way or the highway. Yeah, my give recently were fidget toys and more than I would care to have, but they still have a fraction of what some of their friends have. So yeah, I think that's important, you know, kind of knowing your firm boundaries versus what you're willing to have some flexibility with, I think is is so important. And I, I talk about that with the toxic space in general, because you may need to give on some of your wants for other reasons too within like your budget or your time or whatever. And I think this plays into it as well. What your kids are experiencing can be part of that flexibility. Yeah, for sure. And when my kids were little, I also, I mean, this doesn't play into toxic lifestyle, but I I had a real thing about not wanting logos on their clothes. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't, they were not going to walk around with a Gap sweatshirt. Like even if it was like a hand-me-down or whatever, I sorted all that stuff out. But my son, my oldest son came home one day in kindergarten and said, can we get some company clothes? Everybody else has company clothes. And we kind of dug down a little bit into what that meant to him. And my husband took him to Value Village and he ended up just getting some like dinosaur print shirts. Like he just wanted, didn't have to be Gap. He just wanted something with words on it. So they found a good compromise there. But it's like, can we get some company clothes? That's funny. What do you do? You know, you brought up your kids were kind of 
picked on or or bullied a little bit with with the lunches that they brought to school. And I think that comes into play a fair bit, especially as kids are getting older and other kids might get meaner. How do you deal with kids, your kids being bullied or picked on because of your family values? Yeah. So I think I would draw a distinction between picked on and bullied because I think bullied is a much it's more a serious level. Yeah. situation where people are being singled out and and not just like teased a little bit about the soba noodles. So if your child's being bullied, it's like a definitely like you need more support. You need to get the teachers and administration involved, maybe some support for that child. So let's just talk about teasing. And so I think that with the teasing, we just I would just say, well, you know, everybody's food is different and, you know, it's not very, it's not very kind or enlightened of people to make fun of somebody else's food. And I just would encourage them to not take it personally. And sometimes people make fun of things that are different because they don't know any better. And that, you know, this is the, do you like the soba noodles? Yes. And I also would have given them, given him a chance to not take that food anymore. Like we could probably find something that would satisfy both my desire for healthy lunch and their desire to fit in a little bit better. I think avocado sandwiches were a big thing for a while. So I think that, you know, just helping them to understand that they can, you know, there are certain things they can make choices about, not taking it personally and being sort of strong in their own choices and, and tastes and values. What would you say for the, your kid to say back to the person picking on them anything? Or would you just say to let them leave it? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I guess with that particular example, I could say, you know, have you ever seen soba noodles before? These are Japanese noodles or, you know, something like that. Just not, you know, still not take it personally, but maybe yeah. provide some sort of a, a lighthearted explanation. No, I think that, you know, that don't, don't go low sort of thing, go high instead of going low. Yeah. And to your point about kids, you know, they, they've been living in your values for so long. And so they will come around. I've definitely seen that with certain things, especially my daughter, who's older, she, for things that have been a constant for a long time, like she will now call out people using single use water bottles to me. She won't like walk up to them and say, why are you killing the polar bears? But she'll, you know, she'll make comments in internally and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it. But it's things that she has been raised with. And I'm finding now as she's getting older, there are kind of new issues coming up. And that's where it's kind of revisiting the younger stage again with things like makeup and different products that her friends might be using and wearing. And then it's it's almost like this cycle where there's going to constantly be these new things that come up in different stages. And I think when kids are younger, it's a little bit easier to say, you know, explain it, but just you know, this is how we do it. But as kids get older, and this is again why I think it's so important to be having conversations about your values early, because she does get the skincare ingredients issue because I've been talking about it a lot with her. But at the same time, she gets really frustrated with me and she will be making her own decisions in not that many years. She'll be able to go out and buy her own stuff. And so how do you have those conversations and I guess approach it as a parent as your kids are starting to get into that kind of teenage self-reliant stage? I think two main things. I think one is that we do have to be prepared to start letting go and that hope, you know, I always say like teenagers like taking a like 
step in off a cliff into the dark. Like you, you know, you have to just trust that everything you've done so far has been enough to guide them because they are going to be making their own choices. And also to know that sometimes they won't make the same choices that you've made. And that's okay. You know, they're, this is the time when they're learning. And I know, you know, the repercussions of choosing ingredient or, you know, skincare that doesn't have great ingredients is not going to be like right away, but sometimes there will be choices that they make where they go, Oh, that was not a great choice. And we're still there to be their safety net when they're teenagers. So it's really important to start to let teenagers make their own decisions while they're still living with you and you are still there to help them and help them with whatever they need help with rather than they're out. And now there's the first time they're making their own decisions when they're, when they've moved out of the house. So I think just being prepared to be, to know that they might not make the same decisions and that that's okay. But also I think you can still push back a little bit and get curious. That's my second big idea is like getting curious, like, Oh, what is it about this makeup versus that makeup that you like? And what do you think about what the ingredients are and how do you think that will affect you? And I mean, genuinely curious not like curious and that you already know the answer and you want them to get the right, right answer. <laughs> right. But, but like genuinely curious because maybe they're like, Oh, well, actually, you know, I could maybe choose this other thing and it would still have the same effect. Or maybe it's a caught, you know, I'm thinking about things that could come up of why your daughter might choose, you know, it's probably more expensive to get non-toxic makeup things rather than buying that, you know, at shoppers, the, the cheap lipstick. So maybe you could offer to subsidize it. You know, I know it's, a, you'd like to get some variety in your lipstick. And I know it's more expensive to get this kind. So I'll, I'll give you some money so that you can get the kind that has better ingredients. So I think it's just a communication process, right? Being flexible, being curious, keeping the communication open, not shaming anyone for, you know, wanting things that are not what you want. I think that's a big thing too. Like maybe you're against makeup, but you know, I know my daughter went through this period where she was like watching YouTube tutorials and like doing like that, like seriously heavy makeup. I think it lasted like, I don't know, a month or something. And now it's just like she, if she wears makeup at all, it's like a little mascara or something. So I think sometimes they just have to, we just have to, as I said, know that they will absorb our values. And there's a lot of experimentation and learning for themselves that goes on and just, again, take that deep breath. It's going to be okay. One of the big product shifts, I think, when it comes into adolescence is deodorant and body spray. And there's a lot of heavily fragranced products and it might not bother them, but fragrance can be a huge trigger for certain people around them. And I'm thinking of somebody in my community who has a teenager. I think it might be a stepson, so I'm not sure if she was involved all the way through, but she has severe sensitivities and is trying to get the message across that the products that he's using at home are like physically harming her. How can you help teenagers kind of understand what's going on outside of themselves when they're in? I think it's a bit developmentally normal for teenagers to be more self-absorbed at times. 100% egocentric, totally developmentally yeah. normal. <laughs> so how can you help them see beyond that? Yeah. So I think, first of all, they have to care what you think. So working on relationship with them, but this goes for, you know, any parent or step parent, but really trying to like work on connection and the relationship. And so it doesn't just feel like they're getting lectured and they don't, you know, you don't care about them, but really sort of having that baseline of a good relationship. And then also, I think that making sure that you're leading with their point of view and you're not shaming anyone. I mentioned that a few minutes ago, but so it's like, oh, I know all the kids at your school are wearing this. 
Axe body spray or whatever it is. And I, I'm sure that a lot of, you know, that a lot of people think it smells good. And at the same time, so that instead of but, we always say and at the same time because but just erases everything you've just said. Yep, so, I've spoken about that too. Yeah. <laughs> so and at the same time, it's really, it gives me a really bad headache. That that scent gives me a really bad headache. And maybe there's another place for flexibility. Maybe he could just put it on after he leaves the house. And by the time he gets home, maybe it's worn off enough that it's not going to be offensive or damaging to that, to this parent. So just having like a, a conversation about it and making sure that you're not like, that stuff is disgusting. You know, don't use it in the house. Like that's going to cause a lot of pushback and damage the relationship. So make sure you're leading with their point of view and acknowledging that there's nothing wrong with wanting to, you know, use this product. And at the same time, it, it I would really appreciate it if you didn't because it gives me a really bad headache. I'm jumping around a lot with ages, but I wanted to make this helpful for a variety of our listeners. And I'm thinking of a situation where you're taking your maybe toddler shopping and they see something that they really want. Like maybe it's you're at the dollar store for something and they see a toy that they would be putting in their mouths. And like, this is one of my firm limits of of buying quality things that your kid could be sucking on, right? And so it's a hard no, and they throw an epic tantrum in the store. How do you approach something like that in a very public space? Oh, it's always so hard to parent in public. So first, take a big deep breath again, regulate yourself. Most people, there may be some judgy people in the dollar store, but most people have been there with the the kid who throws the tantrum because they want you to buy them this toy or whatever. And just remember that your loyalty is to your child. It doesn't really matter. It can feel like it matters what the other people think, but really you're just going to be showing up for your kid and they're upset. And what I was saying before about not trying to talk them out of their feelings and the two-year-old wouldn't really understand anyways about BPA or you know toxins or whatever. So you just hold that limit kindly, but firmly like, I am so sorry, we're not going to buy that, sweetheart. I know how much you want it. So it's really empathizing and welcoming the feelings. And if you respond as if it's not an emergency and don't try to shut it down or break down and buy it just to get them to stop crying or whatever, you're also going to be building their emotional resilience. Like this is part of a process of children learning emotional resilience and learning that their big feelings are not an emergency because you're just going to show up and welcome those feelings and empathize with them. And it's part of a, you know, a process through their whole childhood. There will be lots of times where you have to say no to things. And this is, it's okay. It's okay if they're upset about that you're not going to buy them this toy. Really, and I think that's part of it too, is just remind yourself that suffering is part of life. And this is part of the appropriate two year old suffering that you're not going to get the shiny, colorful thing that they want to buy at the dollar store. And they want it. It's okay if they want it. And it's okay if they don't get it. And I think other people out in public, we should also practice empathy to the parent or caregiver who is dealing with those tantrums. Because I've had, I've been in that situation and I've had responses on both sides of the spectrum. The like, tisk shaming kind of attitude, but then also the really kind of kind looks from a mom with another young kid there is something that kind of says, I've been there. And yeah. so I think we all just need to practice a bit more of that empathy and non-judgment, especially when it comes to parenting. You know, unless somebody is being abusive, then, mm-hmm. you know, that's a different kind of scenario. But I think we can so easily judge other parents. And I think that's what gets us in these, our own kind of like 
shame spirals when we are parenting in these public spaces. And that's causing almost more of the issue than the totally interim itself. But it's yeah. hard. It's really hard to block that out when you've seen how much judgment there is out in the world. So I think we just all need to practice not doing that so that we can hold ourselves together when we're in well, that situation. You know, right? And I think one thing that's important is that you can't block it out, but you can give yourself compassion. Yeah. Right. You can't block, you can't not think, oh my God, everyone's looking at me and this is so embarrassing, but you can think, oh my God, everyone's looking at me and this is so embarrassing. And then you can give yourself some love around it. Right. You can say, you know, it's okay. I can handle this. I know I'm doing the right thing by my child here. Yeah. Good. Great reminder. I would like to talk about how we approach hard topics with kids because you know, as I mentioned before, I think it's really important to talk to kids about the reason behind certain family values. And, you know, in, in my sphere, we're talking specifically about things like environmental issues and toxins and health. But a lot of these issues can be really difficult to tackle when we're talking about environmental degradation and climate change that is impacting the kids' future, quite frankly, much more than our own, it mm-hmm. can be really scary. And I think for a lot of grown-ups, we don't necessarily have the language around kind of grappling with the issues ourselves, let alone trying to communicate it to little people. So I'm wondering what tips you have for us in having hard conversations with young children, but then we can also work our way up into teens too, if there's different yeah. strategies. No, I, I think it's so hard. I remember a couple of years ago, my girlfriend, her son was in grade six and they did this really fantastic project where they looked at different, I, I forget what the assignment was exactly, but I know my friend's son, he was looking at like waste metals getting mined in China or in, I forget, maybe India, but you know, all these children like climbing in, in garbage piles to try and get the waste metals. And it was about, it was like, you know, on on the environment. And all of the kids were so depressed at the end of the, it made me cry. All the kids were so depressed at the end of this unit that the teacher was like, oh my gosh, like, what have I done? Like, I've got to, I've got to do something here. So she brought in a young woman I know has a zero waste shop in Halifax. And she brought her in to a Zoom call to talk to the kids about what you can do. So I think that to me, that's the crux of it. Like when you do introduce all of the awful things that are going on right now with, you know, waste and climate change, you have to also introduce what kids can do. Because if you don't also have some element of hope and some element of action, they're just going to get depressed and cynical. So I think that's the the, the biggest thing is to, to have, you know, even if it's something small in the face of something really big, if we don't feel hopeful, our kids are just going to be depressed and then they won't do anything. So I think another part too is to not give too much information before they're old enough to understand it. Like really having an age, I don't know what age appropriate guidelines are. I'm sure you do, but you're not going to talk to your five-year-old about like all of the animals are dying or, or whatever. You want to talk about sort of smaller chunks. I'm not saying hide things from people, but don't overwhelm small children with how big the problem is, because I think they're, they wouldn't be able to have perspective. And, and I think it could cause a lot of anxiety. When my kids were smaller, and it's still the example that they use most often, so I knew that they were hearing it, you know, they would want to get a ride to school. And I've always been pretty firm on walking or riding bikes as much as possible and or anywhere really where we could have the option not to drive. And they would just 
want to drive, I think, because I wanted to do something else sometimes. And so we would talk about cars and pollution from vehicles and gas use and how we want to be reducing it as much as possible. And I kept it really kind of narrow, but also specific. And so I said, you know, some of the issues are that the ice on the North Pole is starting to melt and the polar polar bears are having a harder time having somewhere to live. And so the more that we use gas and, and energy, the harder time the polar bears are having. And that's kind of where I left it from a like five-year-old perspective. And then, you know, as they get older, they start to learn more about school er, in school, at least in Ontario. They're starting to get more of the climate change education. I think climate change specifically has been politicized so much that the education around it varies depending on where you live and, and who's in power. But I think they are starting to get a bit more of that. And so they know increasingly there's like animal death associated with it, but I kept it to just like polar bears are having a hard time. And it was something right. that they could something understand. Small, like, yeah. Like yeah. They had seen a polar bear picture. They had seen polar bear on. Oh, the other thing that I did was sat down and watched like those planet earth shows. And then Netflix has a whole bunch of spinoffs now, but so that they could kind of see nature directly mm-hmm. you know we don't live in a tropical climate so they didn't they they're not in the jungle or anything like that but they could they could see it and witness it and understand more of the like rainforest degradation and and what that loss would mean so i think those sorts of little stepping stones is kind of the approach that i took when they were little anyways yeah i forget his name but the guy who wrote the book the last child in the woods about ADHD and nature. He had a new book come out a few years ago about like outdoor education. And basically he, his whole idea is what you've just said in that if you want to raise people who will save the planet, they have to have a connection yes. to nature, right? And if you don't have a connection to nature and maybe you live in a city like we do and your big connection to nature is planet earth videos, but if you don't have a connection to nature, it can be really hard to understand what is at risk, right? Yeah. Getting our kids out in nature locally is a huge part of our life as well. But I think, you know, seeing the world is so big and there are certain issues that we aren't seeing locally. You know, like we have vast amounts of fresh water seemingly at our yeah. disposal and we have a lot of tree canopy. And so we aren't directly seeing, aside from more storms and all of that stuff, but we aren't directly seeing some of that degradation. And so I think some of the things like Planet Earth does a great job at helping kids you know, without having to travel all over the world yourself helps kids see it. Well, and I, and you just reminded me, I think, of a similar example of when I would like tell my kids not to keep the water running when they're brushing their teeth or washing yes. their hands. I would say, we need to save some water for the fish that live in the lake. Yes. Like, right, just something really like simple yeah. like that, right? We don't want to use up all the water in the lake because the fish need some place to swim. You're As you were talking before about the polar bears, I was reminded this funny anecdote of a little kid who's, I don't know if it's his family or his class was like raising money for, to help the polar bears. He finally asked one of his parents, but what are they going to do with all those coins? Like, no. like he, he thought that money was like directly going to the polar, the polar bears. Like, That's cute. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, you know, again, having those conversations and piecing that together for them, I think is important so that they kind of, they know what kind of work goes into it age appropriately. Belorax is another one. You know, they turned the book into a film, which I think allows more time to absorb some of the context of the book. And and that, you know, my kids were already fairly aware when they watched that movie, but it did help 
I think, frame things in a in a way that they could take in without getting totally terrified necessarily because it's still a kids movie. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to share with us before we go? Any other tips or or parent? You shared such wonderful pearls of wisdom for parenting through all the ages. So I thank you for doing that. But is there anything else before we go? Well, you know, I think just have hope. You know, I know that there were some decisions that we made that were really unpopular. We never got a video game system. And with, you know, two, not the girls don't like video game systems, but two, my two boys were always like, why can't we get an Xbox? Why can't we get a PlayStation? And, you know, I knew they played at their friends' houses. I'm not like completely anti-video games, but it was not part of our family values that we would spend, that our kids would spend hours every day playing video games. And one of my kids is really, really into music. He's actually studying jazz piano at university. The other one's really, really serious about baseball. And, you know, I look back and think if they hadn't had the opportunity to be bored, I don't know if they would have developed those outside interests, you know, and it, it even got to the point where when they were teenagers, they'd go over to their friends' houses and then they'd come home like, oh, all they were doing was playing Xbox or whatever. It's really boring. So I think even if it feels hard, my point in that is that it will feel hard when you're setting limits according to your family values if you're going outside of the norm. And it's worth it. It's worth it, I think, to really teach your kids what you believe in. And, you know, they it might take a while to see how that is working. But I generally think that they will they will absorb what's important to you, especially and I guess maybe if you're not that connected with your kids, it might not happen. But if you have like a good connection relationship with your kids, they care what you think and they will give that consideration. Thank you, Sarah. Where can people go to learn more from you? So my website, sarahrosensweet.com has, you know, lots of ways that you can work with me, lots of free resources. And also you can find my free Facebook group there and my Instagram. And because I'm here talking with you on your podcast. I'll tell your listeners about my podcast, which is called the Peaceful Parenting Podcast. And I do coaching with parents on there. And I also have guest experts in the parenting field for interviews. Perfect. I will drop all of those links in the show notes. I encourage you to check out what Sarah has to offer. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for having me. Wait, before you go, I have a quick favor to ask. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and like what you've heard, please take a moment to hit subscribe and leave a five-star rating and a written review. You can do it right from the app. It takes just a sec and really helps me to be able to continue to share this important information with more people. Plus, you might just get a shout out on a future episode. Thanks so much and bye for now.